Well, hello, this is John Clark, and you are listening to the Jazz Focus, a podcast that uh, tries to shed a little light and uncover some little-known gems of the jazz age. And by the jazz age, I mean everything from 1900 up until the day before yesterday. And today we are talking about what I'm calling the Ellington Cover Bands. This is a little bit different than the programs we usually do. I'm going to be playing a series of recordings by different artists, all uh, recordings of tunes composed and arranged and performed by Duke Ellington. Actually, with two exceptions towards the end of the program, we'll play some things that he didn't perform with his band at the time. So Duke Ellington was probably, after Louis Armstrong, the most uh, influential and significant performer uh, in jazz. And where Louis did his thing with his trumpet, of course, and singing, and his demeanor and success, uh, Ellington's influence was really derived primarily from uh, his arrangements, his band performances, and his compositions. And he was publishing compositions uh, under his own name by the middle 1920s. And and some of the arrangements that his band were were doing that he had uh, arranged of his own original compositions from the Kentucky Club period and the Cotton Club period of the late 1920s were being published uh, by various publishers in New York uh, as stock arrangements. A stock arrangement was something that uh, a publisher would put out as a, a promotional tool for uh, a song that uh, that publishing company had in its catalog. It might have been a new song, it might have been a song that they were trying to re-energize, whatever. So they would put out an arrangement for uh, a variety of different ensembles of that particular tune. So for example, with a Duke Ellington tune like um, Creole Love Call, which we're going to be hearing coming up, uh, if they put out a stock arrangement of that, they would probably put it out as a dance band arrangement, since that's what it was originally conceived of as, and other bands in the country might want to play it. And so at the time, from the late 1920s up until just about the dawn of the swing era, 1934 or so, um, these stock arrangements would be put out typically for a dance band orchestration, which was two trumpets, one trombone, three saxophones, all doubling various woodwind instruments, piano, and then a banjo or a guitar, a tuba or a bass, and drums, sometimes a violin as well. So if you had a band in Oshkosh or Honolulu or London for that matter, you could go to your corner music store and pay a dollar, a dollar and a half, and get a set of parts for the Creole Love Call or whatever song you wanted. And uh, in that way, bands could play music uh, from a widely separated area of influence. And uh, as Ellington's name came to be known uh, through the years of recordings being issued and people writing about him and personal appearances and so forth, people and bands in different locations wanted to play his music. And then they found out that the quality of the music was so high that they wanted to keep doing it. Ellington, of course, wrote for his band specifically. He once famously said that he played piano, but the band was his instrument. So when he wrote a line for a saxophone, he was hearing Johnny Hodges, or he was hearing Tricky Sam Nanton play trombone, or Cootie Williams play trumpet, or whatever. And those lines would uh, develop into compositions that were... um, designed for the individuals in his orchestra. So when another band would play one of these arrangements, they would have to either imitate those soloists or they would have to go into another direction entirely. And we're going to hear examples of both of those approaches coming up. So we're going to focus primarily on music that Ellington composed in the late 1920s and the early 1930s. And mostly the recordings that I've picked as covers 
were produced right around the time that Ellington had initially released them, or within a few years. The first uh, example is about three years apart, and I think that's about as far as we go in terms of uh, distance here. So we're going to start with uh, a tune that Ellington uh, composed, I think, in the late part of 1930 and first recorded in January of 1931 for the Brunswick label. It's called Rockin' in Rhythm. Now, Rockin' in Rhythm is a very bouncy tune that... Uh, lives up to its title. It, it rocks in rhythm. Um, it's not a fast tune, particularly. Uh, Ellington kept this song in his book, this arrangement for the most part, uh, until he died in 1974, and then the band continued to play it, and as far as I know, continues to play it when it gets together. Um, but as you listen to various recordings made over the years by Duke Ellington himself, it gets faster and faster and faster and faster. Uh, it wasn't originally written that way. Um, and this recording we're going to hear now is, in fact, by a band led by the cornet player Red Nichols, a white cornet player who was famous in the 1920s for leading a band called the Five Pennies, and he recorded extensively with this group and related ensembles. Uh, he was a music director on Broadway. He played in some big bands. He had an amazingly active career uh, until uh, World War II when he went into war work, and then he uh, came out of semi-retirement in the late 1940s and led a very standard Dixieland band until he passed away, uh, I believe in the 1960s. So this band is called Red Nichols and His World Famous Pennies, and it features not a single person who you've probably ever heard of. I've never heard of them. Uh, I have a feeling that Nichols probably took over this band from somebody else for recording purposes. It might have been a territory band or something. We do have Nichols himself playing a cornet solo, but the rest of the players, uh, while I know their names because I have the list in front of me, I don't recognize any of them. Uh, Ray McCosh and George Schmidt on trumpet, Buck Weaver on trombone, Gilbert Schwesser and Howard Jenkins on alto sax, Don Proviance on tenor, Manny Strand on uh, piano, King Harvey on guitar, I believe he recorded with Nichols a little bit later, Bill Lauer on bass, and Paul Collins on drums. And this comes from a uh, Bluebird, a Victor recording session in June of 1934. So we'll hear how Rockin' and Rhythm had uh, advanced or, or, or progressed or maybe regressed, I don't know, in the three years since Ellington had first recorded it. Following that, we're going to go to the tune that I mentioned earlier as an example, Creole Love Call, also sometimes known as Creole Love Song. This is a tune um, that Ellington had uh, recorded early in his band leading career before he went to the Cotton Club. This was in October of 1927. He recorded it for Victor. Um, it featured, a, uh, one of the recordings anyway, featured a wordless vocal by Adelaide Hall. Um, it also featured a, a clarinet uh, solo that was a, a different melodic strain. It was played by a man named Rudy Jackson, who had uh, been with the Ellington Band very briefly and didn't last too long after that. He had played with, Duke, uh, with King Oliver's Band in Chicago in the middle 1920s, and he had actually taken that theme... Uh, which was called the Camp Meetin' Blues at the time, and brought it to Ellington and uh, gave it to him as an original composition, which Ellington believed and put it on the record, and uh, King Oliver later sued him for that. But anyway, um, this is a nice bluesy composition. And we're going to hear, playing this today, the Clyde McCoy Hotel Drake Orchestra. Clyde McCoy was a white trumpeter who uh, was actually uh, part of the McCoy family of the famous Hatfield and McCoy uh, feud from Kentucky. I believe he was born in Kentucky, but he grew up in Ohio, became a very accomplished trumpet player, and was leading bands in the 1920s. By the end of the 1920s, he was leading this band. Um, and uh, 
this was a, uh, a dance group that had some jazz elements to it. And this was a perfect example of a band that would use these stock arrangements to up their jazz feeling a little bit. Everybody had to play some jazz, even the most sweet bands, because this was some of the most popular music of the day. This recording was made uh, in, uh, let's see, September of 1931, so a few years after Ellington had recorded it. Ellington recorded it again several times, including up to almost this exact uh, uh, time period as well. Now, McCoy was well known for, or became well known a little bit after this for a recording he made of a tune called The Sugar Blues, which he did about eight months before this one in January of 1931, and that became his signature tune for the rest of his life. Uh, he always was thought of as a very corny trumpet player because he played with that wah-wah muted style, and his style never evolved too much from what we're going to hear in just a, a couple of minutes. Uh, his band was not, again, not well known, didn't have a lot of well-known players in it. We're going to hear John Cameron playing the clarinet solo. Um, Tommy Miller playing the trombone solo. I don't think we have a piano solo on this one, but it would be Johnny Patrone. And then, of course, the leader, Clyde McCoy, on trumpet. So we'll hear a band not really affiliated or associated with jazz playing a jazz tune in this way and utilizing the stock arrangements and the feeling of the Duke Ellington Orchestra as well. Then we're going to go to what arguably was uh, one of uh, Ellington's best-known tunes. This is Mood Indigo, which was known prior to uh, being titled Mood Indigo as the Dreamy Blues. And this was a tune that Ellington co-composed with another clarinet player, Barney Bagard, with whom he had a much more pleasant relationship. I don't think anybody sued him because of this tune, although if we believe some of the uh, interviews that were conducted in New Orleans, this tune may have been written in part by Bagard's clarinet teacher, Lorenzo Tio, who was a legendary clarinet player and teacher from the first 25 years or so of the 20th century in New Orleans. By the end of the uh, 20s, rather, T.O. had relocated to New York. He was trying to make it big in New York. He was a very good musician, and he was writing music as well. And Bagard was trying to help him by getting him opportunities and may have uh, brought uh, this little melodic snippet uh, to Ellington's attention. And there's another tune later on we're going to talk about that has been surmised was partly the work of Lorenzo Tio, even though he did not get credit for it. So it's a very bluesy composition. It was originally recorded by the Jungle Band. Remember, Ellington was playing uh, jungle-style music, so-called, at the Cotton Club. This was originally recorded in October of 1930 with a small group, actually, just clarinet, trumpet, and trombone, and piano, banjo, bass, and drums. So small group here. We're going to hear it done by a bigger band, again, probably a stock arrangement that was read by uh, a band led by Cab Calloway. Cab Calloway and his orchestra was represented by the same uh, manager that Ellington was, Irving Mills. He was one of the Irving Mills bands, and so they probably did trade some music back and forth occasionally. Uh, this group uh, recorded uh, Mood Indigo in March of 1931 for the Banner label. We're going to hear on trumpet R.Q. Dickerson, Lamar Wright, and Reuben Reeves. On trombone, DePriest Wheeler and Harry White. Harry White probably takes the solo here. Arvel Harris plays uh, clarinet solo, also alto. Andrew Brown plays tenor and bass clarinet. Walter Thomas plays alto and baritone sax, probably a little tenor and flute as well. Ears Prince on piano. Morris Fruit White plays guitar and banjo. He actually takes a solo on this recording, which was unusual. Jimmy Smith on bass and tuba, and Leroy Maxey on drums. And the leader, Cab Calloway, will get a little vocal turn in here as well on Mood Indigo. Then we're going to finish up that set with a tune that uh, Ellington recorded 
much earlier in his career, in 1926, when he was leading a band at the Kentucky Club, well before the Cotton Club days. This band was called the Kentucky Club Orchestra. It recorded this tune in November of 1926 for Vocalion, and it featured Ellington fairly extensively a stride piano solo, which was unusual at this time. Uh, the tune was called the Birmingham Breakdown, and we're going to hear a recording now rec uh, done by McKinney's Cotton Pickers, although they were masquerading uh, at the time under the name of the Chocolate Dandies. They had a, a recording contract with RCA Victor, and they moonlighted uh, recording this number and three others with OK, uh, the uh, race label, in uh, 1928, October 13th. We're going to hear Langston Curl and John Nesbitt on trumpets. Uh, John Nesbitt is probably the soloist. Claude Jones plays trombone. Don Redman is the leader. He plays alto and clarinet. The clarinet solo is probably uh, by Prince Robinson, if we have one on here, who plays tenor. George Thomas also plays tenor sax. Milton Sr. plays clarinet and alto. Dave Wilborn is on banjo. Uh, Todd Rhodes is on piano. Uh, Ralph Escudero is on tuba, and Cuba Austin is on drums. Lonnie Johnson, uh, the New Orleans guitarist, was part of this session, but he did not play on this number as far as we know. So those are our four tunes that we're going to listen to right now. We're going to hear Rockin' and Rhythm by Red Nichols, uh, Creole Love Call by Clyde McCoy, Mood Indigo by Cab Calloway, and The Birmingham Breakdown by McKinney's Cotton Pickers, also known as the Chocolate Dandies. Thank <laughs> you. 
a little bit of an abrupt ending, but uh, you get some very exciting playing there on Birmingham Breakdown. That was, a, I believe, taken from the stock, but uh, uh, Don Redman was noted for doctoring the stocks, as we talked about earlier, and there was even a little saxophone solely passage in there for four saxophones uh, instead of a solo. We had a very good tenor solo by Prince Robinson, I believe, and clarinet trio at the end. And as I said, John Nesbitt on trumpet and Claude Jones on trombone. Even a little bit of... Uh, drums by Cuba Austin, who was a very underrated drummer at the time. We proceeded that with Mood and Go by Cab Calloway. We heard some uh, very nice guitar, very unusual for the guitar to be featured in, in at that period in, in, in big band history, but we heard Morris Fruit White playing a solo on Mood and Go. Um, not much cab there, but uh, lots of good uh, instrumental uh, work as well. Arvel Harris on clarinet, Harry White on trombone. Then we uh, went back to the Creole Love Call by Clyde McCoy and his orchestra. We heard the leader doing some of his wah-wah muted stuff, which uh, gets a little bit hard to take when he does the kissy sounds at the end of it, but uh, some good solos by John Cameron on clarinet and Tommy Miller on trombone. Um, the first trumpet solo, I believe both of them were by Clyde McCoy, he actually uh, quoted, in fact, he, he more or less paraphrased the vocal uh, contribution of Adelaide Hall on that recording I had mentioned earlier, which was an interesting thing. That's not in the stock arrangement, I don't believe. I'm not sure there is a stock arrangement of Creole Love Call. I've never seen it, but I don't think that would have been in it. Then we started out with a very fast version of Rockin' and Rhythm by Red Nichols and his world-famous Pennies. And as I said, no one really well-known in that band other than the leader, and he gets most of the solo space. Um, it's a pretty well-drilled band. Uh, it may have been, as I said, a, a, a territory band or a band that existed outside of New York City and that he just took over for the recording date and maybe a couple of tours. Who knows? That happened from time to time. But uh, an effective band and played the arrangement quite well. So now we're going to go on to another series of Ellington recordings recorded by other people. We're going to get a little bit of field here. Uh, the first tune is uh, one of Ellington's best-known tunes from the 1920s, the Black and Tan Fantasy, uh, based on a blues um, and... Uh, all sorts of stories about how this tune came about. Ellington recorded it first in April of 1927, and uh, many bands recorded this all through well, the late 1920s and into the 1930s. The one that I picked is one that I don't know much about. It is a territory band uh, that recorded in Richmond, Indiana for Champion. Champion was one of the dime store labels that came about because of the Depression. Richmond, Indiana, of course, was the home of Janet Records, which recorded so much uh, uh, classic and historic jazz uh, and blues performances in the 1920s. By 1932, this was recorded in November of 1932, uh, Janet had more or less gone out of business and had been bought by um, one of the companies that issued recordings uh, on these so-called dime store labels that were um, uh, sold at, um, well, basically department stores uh, during this Depression era. And this band was called Paul Davis and his orchestra. I don't know if this is a, his real name or a pseudonym for somebody else. We don't know who's in the band, uh, but they do a very credible job playing this arrangement, which is a stock, of Ellington's black and tan fantasy. So we're going to hear that to begin with. From that point, we're going to go on to a more, uh, shall we say, sophisticated band, the Dorsey Brothers and their orchestra. From January of 1935, this was a band that was one of the most popular white bands in the just pre-swing era. 
the Dorsey Brothers and Ben Pollock and uh, the Casaloma Band were the three uh, most popular white bands playing this sort of jazz influence style that led into the swing era, um, but was sort of hamstrung by the Depression. We're going to hear them do an arrangement of the uh, Ellington tune Solitude, which will feature a vocal by their singer Kay uh, Weber, and as I said, January of 1935. And this will uh, feature the band as it existed at the time, which had uh, uh, a pretty good cross-section of the jazz uh, players of the day, the white jazz players anyway. We do have the Dorsey brothers, Tommy on trombone, Jimmy on clarinet and alto, uh, probably George Thau on trom trumpet. Um, this was a band that in some of its uh, in, configurations used an unusual instrumentation. It had one trumpet, uh, three trombones, and three saxophones. That was a little strange. I believe this was a little bit after that. They had added a couple of trumpets, I think, by this point. Uh, so we'll hear all of them uh, being featured on Solitude. Then we're going to go to uh, one of Ellington's first published compositions. He did this uh, with a man named Joe Trent. They were both active in some of the black... Uh, uh, show scene of the 1920s. This was a tune called Jig Walk. Uh, Ellington did not record this with his band until 1940, but he did record it as a piano roll in 1926. And uh, it was recorded by Ben Burney's band right about that time. It was a stock arrangement that came out uh, at the same time. Ellington's band at, the, at this point was playing at the Kentucky Club, not the Cotton Club. And he was not well known at all, so he must have uh, been able to talk himself or have himself talked into issuing this composition as a stock arrangement. The, I, d I was thinking about doing the Ben Burney uh, recording, but I decided to go across the pond, as it were, for this one. This is a band that was led by a man named Burt Furman. Burt Furman and his Devonshire Restaurant Dance Band. And this was recorded in December of 1926. How uh, this stock arrangement by a composer who was not well known made it over to England and recorded by a pretty uh, successful band at the time is beyond me, but we have this recording here. This was... Um, uh, a group that was playing at the Devonshire restaurant, obviously, for dancing. Uh, don't really know who's in the band, other than Arthur Lally, who we heard uh, on a podcast from a while back uh, with the Rhythmic Eight. Uh, you can go back and check that out. This uh, band, uh, Burt Furman's band, actually broke up into some smaller groups for recording sessions, including the Rhythmic Eight, a little bit later. Uh, Charles Rocco is on trumpet, Arthur Lally on clarinet and alto, and probably baritone sax. He was known for that. John Furman, Burt's brother, is on piano. Jack Trouble is on drums. And other than that, we don't know who else is there. Probably a couple more saxes, maybe a trombone and a tuba as well. So that will be uh, a jig walk, which is subtitled Charleston, by the way, meant to ride the, the craze of the Charleston dance. After that, we're going to go to Sophisticated Lady, which was one of Ellington's best-known ballads. And this is the, one of those tunes, as I mentioned earlier, that uh, Lorenzo Teo might have had a hand in writing. Apparently, if we believe some of the interviews with clarinet players and some of his family and so forth and friends, uh, Teo sold some uh, melodic uh, snippets and, and strains and so forth to Ellington, who incorporated them in other songs. And this may have been one of them. Whether he wrote the A section of the tune or the bridge or whatever, we don't know. He's not listed as a composer, so who knows. Anyway, we're going to hear um, 
Rather than the Ellington version, of course, we're going to hear a version by a, a, one of the few bands that probably had musical sensibilities to compare with Ellington at the time. This is Don Redman and his orchestra. And Don Redman, we just met as the leader of McKinney's Cotton Pickers. In about uh, 1931, he left McKinney's Cotton Pickers to form his own band, which uh, played at Connie's Inn in New York. And he was known as a very, very effective uh, arranger and composer and who could write arrangements without a piano. Apparently, he t heard Ellington play this number, Sophisticated Lady, and wrote it down while he was hearing it played in the, in, in the uh, Cotton Club or wherever he was at the time. And Redmond arranged this for his band and recorded it for Brunswick in April of 1933. And we're going to hear kind of an innovation in big bands at the time, a trombone trio, which features in this arrangement. Claude Jones, Fred Robinson, and Benny Morton. And Ellington and um, uh, Don Redmond were the only bands that were using trombone trios. We also will hear Shirley Clay, Lang Langston Curl and Cindy DeParis on trumpets, uh, Redman on clarinet and alto, Ed Ng and Rupert Cole on clarinet and alto, Robert Carroll on tenor, Don Kirkpatrick on piano, Talcott Reeves on banjo, guitar in this case, uh, Bob Seguire on bass, and Manzi Johnson on drums. And this will be Sophisticated Lady. Then we're going to end up with a kind of a curiosity. This is a, a territory band, Red Perkins uh, band, which uh, recorded an Ellington tune called The Old Man Blues. Well, this was one that Ellington recorded in 19... Um, uh, 30, I believe, uh, for Victor. This is a real uh, steamer of a tune, and uh, it was based in some part on the popular song by Jerome Kern, Old Man River. You might hear some similarities in there, and Ellington had a very popular recording of that, and it was re recorded by a couple of other bands around the same time. So what we're going to hear is Red Perkins and his Dixie Ramblers recording for Champion, another one of those dime store labels in Richmond, Indiana, and we're going to hear this uh, from May of 1931. And again, no real well-known musicians in here. Um, there's a vocal trio that gets featured, which really is isn't part of the Ellington recording. I don't know where the lyrics came from. It probably was issued on the stock, if there was a stock here. And the leader, Frank Red Perkins, who plays trumpet, alto, and soprano sax, and I believe sings the lead to the vocal trio. So those are our tunes, five of them this time. Solitude, or rather Black and Tan Fantasy, uh, done by Paul Davis and his orchestra. Solitude by the Dorsey Brothers. Jig Walk by Burt Furman and his Devonshire Restaurant Orchestra. Uh, Sophisticated Lady by Don Redman and his orchestra, and Old Man Blues by Red Perkins and his Dixie Ramblers.
So there you go with uh, some nice uh, non-Ellington versions of Ellington tunes. That old man blues really stomped along. There was a tuba in that rhythm section, obviously, not a bass. Red Perkins and his Dixie Ramblers actually were based in Omaha, Nebraska. They were an African-American band that uh, played regionally out there, and they found their way to uh, Richmond, Indiana to make a series of four recordings. Uh, May of 1931, I think it was. Before that, we heard Don Redmond featured actually extensively himself on clarinet and alto on uh, Sophisticated Lady. Then the Burt Furman Band having a nice uh, energetic performance of the Jig Walk uh, featuring uh, John Furman on piano and uh, Arthur Lally on various reeds. Then we had a, a sedate and sophisticated version of Solitude with Kay Weber singing with the Dorsey Brothers Orchestra. And we started out with Paul Davis and his orchestra, otherwise unknown. Don't know who's in the personnel, but a very uh, effective version of Black and Tan Fantasy done from the stock arrangement probably uh, by 1931. So we're going to do one more set and uh, feature a couple of very well-known Ellington tunes, one not so well-known and a couple hardly known at all. Um, the first version, uh, or the first tune we're going to hear is It Don't Mean a Thing If It Ain't Got That Swing, which of course Ellington recorded in 1932 with Ivy Anderson singing. That was his tune from that point. And we're going to hear a version done uh, in October of 1932, not long after the Ellington version, done by the so-called Rhythm Kings, which was actually a, a, a kind of a, a nom de disque, I guess, for the washboard Rhythm Kings, which recorded for Victor quite extensively in the early to mid-30s. They were a band about which not too much is known. Some people have done some research and determined that it was a band of African-American musicians who were active in Philadelphia. Um, they were not New York musicians. They recorded primarily in Camden, New Jersey, which is where RCA Victor Studios were. A lot of the New York musicians went there, and these uh, uh, Philadelphia musicians went across the river and did it too. However, they did occasionally have some better-known musicians sitting in and playing. And on this recording, we're going to hear Valida Snow, uh, the African-American woman trumpet player who made some wonderful recordings in the 30s, uh, ended up in Europe, made some great recordings over there before she was actually put in a, um, a prison camp uh, during uh, World War II and came back to the United States and, and resumed her career. Never quite got it back off the ground though in the 1950s. We're going to hear Ben Smith on clarinet and alto sax, Jerome Carrington on tenor, Eddie Miles on piano. Uh, singing and playing banjo is Steve Washington, who made some interesting recordings featuring Benny Goodman around the same time. George Ghost Howell, I believe, was the leader of this band. He played uh, bass. Uh, H. Smith, whoever that is, played washboard. Uh, the, there are some background vocals by Lavada Carter and Bella Benson. You may also hear Carl Wade on tenor sax. As I said, this is a, a band that um, we don't know too much about, but a very hot version utilizing the stock arrangement of It Don't Mean a Thing If It Ain't Got That Swing. Then we're going to go to a tune that Ellington recorded about 1935, I think it was, called Merry-Go-Round. And the cover version that we're going to hear is done by another band that was managed by Irving Mills. Ellington, by this point, had left Irving Mills, so Mills was concentrating on the Callaway Band and also on this band, the Mills Blue Rhythm Band, that played... Um, several uh, very good residencies in New York. Usually when the Callaway or the Ellington Band left town to go on tour, the Millsville Rhythm Band would come in and keep their seats warm for them, pretty much. We're going to hear Merry-Go-Round, as I said. This is from August of 1936. Um, we're getting up into the swing era at this point, and we're going to hear a number of fine players, including uh, Tab Smith on alto saxophone on this one. J.C. Higginbottom plays trombone. Uh, I believe it's Wardell Jones playing trumpet. Henry Red Allen is also in the section, but I think it's Wardell 
Cordell Jones gets the solo here. Joe Garland plays tenor sax. Edgar Hayes was the uh, music director of this band. He played piano and arranged, although I believe this comes from a stock, as I said. Lawrence Lucy on guitar, Elmer James on bass, and O'Neill Spencer on drums. Um, Buster Bailey was also in this band occasionally on clarinet. I don't believe he was in this particular uh, version of the band, and you'll hear or see that uh, we have the, the beginnings of the John Kirby sextet. I've mentioned them on several podcasts. A little bit later, Billy Kyle came in on piano and Charlie Shavers on trumpet, so that really was the John Kirby sextet waiting to happen at that point. So we're going to hear their version of Merry Go Round from August of 1936. Then we're going to go to Benny Goodman. Um, also from 1936, this is a version of the Ellington tune from just slightly earlier called uh, In a Sentimental Mood, and this is from May of 1936. We're going to hear Goodman, of course, on clarinet. Uh, this is not a typical Benny Goodman recording of the period. Uh, he only did a couple of Ellington tunes during the uh, early swing era here when he was recording for Victor. I Let a Song Go Out of My Heart was another. But we're going to hear this. We're also going to hear Red Ballard playing trombone on this. Uh, he played a nice straight lead on there. I believe we might hear a little bit of Pee Wee Irwin on trumpet. And uh, this whole arrangement was done not as a stock, but by Jimmy Mundy, the tenor sax player who played with Earl Hines and who was freelancing as an arranger at this point. So we'll hear a little bit of that. Then finally, we're going to end up with two tunes done by the Jimmy Lunsford Orchestra. Jimmy Lunsford was one of the great uh, black bands of the 1930s. He featured amazing arrangements and virtuosic playing with some very fine soloists as well, and they were known as a show band. They could really uh, demonstrate showmanship like nobody else. Uh, we're going to hear two tunes that I don't know how they got a hold of. They were Duke Ellington tunes that Ellington himself never recorded, uh, or didn't up to that point, uh, with his band. These are... Tunes that uh, Lunsford recorded in May of 1935 for Decca, uh, his early Decca recordings, Bird of Paradise and Rhapsody Jr. Uh, as I said, both of these by Ellington. Somehow he got them, uh, got to play them. We're going to hear uh, probably Cy Oliver on trumpet, on the muted trumpet solo. We're going to hear Willie Smith playing alto sax and clarinet. Um, Edwin Wilcox, Eddie Wilcox on piano, and uh, if there's any trombone in there, it will be done by Russell Bowles, who is not a big trombone featuring band, unfortunately. And then we will hear a little bit of guitar, electrified guitar, by Eddie Durham as well. So, those are our tunes coming up. It don't mean a thing if it ain't got that swing. Uh, by the Washboard Rhythm Kings, Merry Go Round, done by Mills Blue Rhythm Band, In a Sentimental Mood by Benny Goodman and his orchestra, and Bird of Paradise and Rhapsody Jr., by the Jimmy Lunsford Orchestra.
So there we have some more Ellington for you. We started out with a don't mean a thing if it ain't got that swing uh, by the Washboard Rhythm uh, Kings. And they, they did not use the stock. That was a jam session performance, although it featured some great solo work. Uh, piano, also Valida Snow on trumpet, uh, Steve Washington singing, and of course the Washboard itself by H. Smith. Then we went to the Mills Blue Rhythm Band doing Merry-Go-Round. We heard a lot of Tab Smith doing a sort of a Johnny Hodges imitation. He was uh, known to play in that style, more or less. We heard J.C. Higginbottom on trombone as well. Then the Benny Goodman version of In a Sentimental Mood, a nice dance tune Goodman featured. Uh, I had said Red Ballard on uh, trombone. I think it was actually Murray McEachern who was uh, playing with Goodman at the time as well. And then we finished up with two 1935 recordings by the Jimmy Lunsford Band of otherwise unrecorded Duke Ellington tunes, Bird of Paradise and Rhapsody Jr. And the notes... Uh, suggest or don't suggest they give credit to Eddie Durham, the guitar player and trombone player, and Eddie Wilcox, the piano player, as being the arrangers. They were the chief arrangers for the Lunsford Band, and they may have contributed uh, to those arrangements as well. I don't know, perhaps they just got a piano uh, sheet of those two tunes from Ellington, and they turned them into very interesting and forward-looking performances that feature a lot of the members of the band. I had said Cy Oliver. He was not uh, featured on trumpet on those. He usually played a muted trumpet style, and there wasn't much of that. It was probably Paul Webster on open trumpet, uh, and then some of those high note climaxes, and even in the middle, some of those high note stabs were by Tommy Stevenson. And, of course, Willie Smith on alto and clarinet. Uh, Joe Thomas was on tenor sax. Earl Carruthers you could hear in there on baritone sax as well. And a lot of feature for Eddie Wilcox on piano, some very nice stride piano, uh, living up to the example of Duke Ellington. So we hope you've enjoyed the show. This is the Jazz Focus. My name is John Clark. Uh, we just did an Ellington cover band show for you. A lot of different bands here. Um, we have lots of things coming up. Hope you continue to tune in to the Jazz Focus, and we will continue making these programs. So thank you very much. Do uh, support us if you are so inclined. Hit that little button for support uh, on anchor.com, anchor.fm or Spotify, wherever you're listening to the Jazz Focus, and uh, get in touch with me on my Instagram or uh, Facebook pages, which are my band name, Wolverine Jazz Band, also on the website, wolverinejazzband.com. So hope you're enjoying this, hope you have a wonderful week, and see you soon on the other side.